Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. For all you elk hunters out there, Chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Paleobiologists at the University of Bristol in the United Kingdom recently published a study showing that the wing bones of baby pterosaurs were strong enough to fly. Before we go on, you might be more familiar with hearing pterodactyl, but the term pterosaur is used to refer to all ancient flying creatures, from the ancient Greek words pteros for feather or wing and saurus for lizard, whereas pterodactylus refers to one particular species of pterosaur. Just a bit of insider nomenclature next time you're trying to fit in with the paleontologist cool kids. Or feel like, once again, arguing with your friend's eight-year-old kid who is highly annoying and insists that the suite of Jurassic Park movies have some legitimacy. I am sorry. Dinosaurs are cool enough. We don't need to think that Andominus Rex or Hip Hop Anonymous Rex is real, okay? Anyway, as you can imagine, well-preserved fossilized skeletons of hatchling pterosaurs are pretty tough to come by. Scientists didn't have a lot of information about the first few days, weeks, and months of life for these baby dinos. It was even difficult to distinguish young specimens of one species from the adults of a smaller species, until recently. In the last few years, several pterosaur fossils discovered in 2004 were confirmed as hatchlings and embryos, The University of Bristol team was then able to take precise measurements of their wing bones, and they discovered that one key bone, the humerus, was not only robust enough to flap, but also stronger than the humerus of their fully grown kin. These babies could fly. The wings of the hatchlings were shaped differently from the adult pterosaurs, shorter and wider, 
but better for quick turns to evade predators, versus the longer, thinner wings that allowed the adults to cover longer distances. Now, there are a million cool things about this study, but the first thing I think about is how those adult wings might be cupped as they glide down to my spread of pterosaur decoys, while I sit in my carefully crafted blind of sphenophyte plant with the shotgun I managed to fit into the time machine. I'm guessing a 10-gauge would be more appropriate. Rhodes, where we're going, we don't need Rhodes. And I bet that roasted pterosaur with a little cayenne rub, absolutely delicious perhaps like a bullfrog of the sky. Upland bird season starts in about three weeks from this podcast. There's going to be a lot of references like this. This week, we've got action, legislation, Alaska, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was pretty darned amazing. It has been a long while since I've been up to the infamous fish shack of southeast Alaska. It did not disappoint. We had rain, we had sun, we had calm seas, engine breakdowns, repairs, electrical and plumbing failures, good fishing, painfully slow fishing, great fishing that seemed to be a reward for sticking it out through the slow times, and one morning when the silver salmon were just on fire. I dove for my first scallops. I only harvested one. I found two. But not only could I not relocate the scallop, I couldn't relocate the rock, which was the size of a large SUV. If you ever get the chance, and you can tough out the cold waters of Alaska, the diving is truly incredible. The life is everywhere. It is gorgeous. The seafloor has hands, feeding tubes, siphons, and appendages of thousands tens of thousands of animals waving in the current for food, and it is beautiful, striking, impactful. So you decided to go with him to the fish under the sea dance. No, no, it was the enchantment under the sea dance. And that's not even taking into account the stuff that can really crawl, pinch, and swim. Most impressive for my trip in Southeast was, I gotta take my mother up there. She loves to fish and camp, and she got to do both for far longer than a lot of people could actually stand. She works her butt off. She was tireless. She can help with three kids, package fish, fix plumbing, and a gas leak, all while scrubbing a cooler full of congealed fish blood and slime, and ask to do it all over again the next day, or look just genuinely disappointed that we can't stop one more time at another ledge to see if that lingcod is home, and it was very special. I love you, Ma. If you guys ever have kids, and one of them, when he's eight years old, accidentally sets fire to the living room rug, go easy on him. Next up, calls to action. This stuff affects all of us, so listen up. The Ozark National Scenic Riverways Travel Management Plan is up for public comment. Our national parks are seeing a ton of traffic. Now is your time to write in and comment. Remember, if you don't weigh in, you don't wrestle. So if you don't comment, don't complain. This particular management plan deals with the possibility of road and river access closures. So it will be impactful to you if you recreate in that area and a lot of other folks. Read up and write in at parkplanning.nps.gov. Next, 
Utah Lake. The third largest water body in the West suffers from being literally treated like a toilet, phosphorus buildup, algae blooms, and an infestation of a laundry list of invasive species. Nevertheless, the 23-mile-long, 150-square-mile Utah Lake is primarily state-owned and a hunting, fishing, bird-watching destination for the densest human population in Utah. And that's not a joke on Utah County or Salt Lake County. I'm saying there's just, you know, a lot of people there. You know what I mean, right? Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think with flying fish. Utah County, in which Utah Lake sits, hosts a population of over 665,000 people, and Salt Lake County, 1.16. Those are 2019 numbers, by the way. And, you know, that's a lot of poop. Utah County drains into Salt Lake County, and you know what flows downhill. Anyway, the state of Utah is currently entertaining an offer to restore the lake through private development, with lake reclamation estimates of over $6 billion. Private, for-profit firms have come up with a solution. Develop 30 miles of lake bed and use some of the proceeds gained by populating that man-made island constructed from the sediments of the lake, which, again, is a lot of poop, with some 250 to 500,000 future Utahns, which kind of brings to mind a greatly underrated movie, The Great Outdoors with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Chet and Uncle Roman, played by Candy and Aykroyd, respectively, cover in this fictitious story an all-too-real argument. Is a landscape that simply exists for recreation and wildlife really doing anything? Wouldn't it be serving a greater good if it had some purpose? I'll tell you what I see when I look out there, if you want to know. Hey, yeah, I'm curious. I see the underdeveloped resources of northern Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. I see a syndicated development consortium exploiting over a billion and a half dollars in forest products. I see a paper mill, and if the strategic metals are there, a mining operation. A green belt between the condos on the lake and a waste management facility, focusing on the newest rage in toxic waste, medical refuse, infected bandages, body parts, IV tubing, contaminated glassware, entrails, syringes, fluid, blood, low-grade radioactive waste, all safely contained, sunken in the lake, and sealed for centuries. Now, I ask you, what do you see? I, I just see, uh, see trees. Now, the Utah lake situation is not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. The lake is literally where human runoff goes and has gone for over 100 years. The place is not what you would call entirely natural due to the changes brought about by man and invasive species alike. But it is still home to Utah Lake State Park. Powell Slough Waterfowl Management Area and Rock Island Nature Preserve, playgrounds, campgrounds, marinas, hiking trails, and biking trails, suggesting that despite the water quality, there is still some nature there. Audubon Society listed the following species just in the Provo Bay site of Utah Lake, which they note is important for endangered, threatened species of special concern in Utah. Caspian terns, long-billed curlews, mallards, northern pintail, green-winged teal, northern shoveler, cinnamon teal, Canada geese, American white pelicans, white-faced ibis, snowy egrets, California gulls, American avocets, black-necked stilts, and Wilson's fallow ropes, as well as thousands of swallows of all species. 
Tom Aldrich, who I believe is the former waterfowl program coordinator of the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources, said this about Utah Lake. It is one of the most important wetland systems in Utah for waterfowl and shorebird populations in terms of actual bird use. However, not all of the lake is equally important. Approximately 90 to 95% of the lake use occurs in both the Provo and Goshen Bays. Depending on lake levels, shorebirds and migratory birds seek flat, shallow ponds on which to feed, rest, and breed. Therefore, when lake levels are high, the birds tend towards Goshen Bay. However, when levels are low, Provo Bay provides the most valuable habitat for shorebirds and migratory birds. The health of both bays is necessary in order to respond to fluctuating lake levels and provide the necessary habitat. The two greatest threats to these areas are lost upland and shoreland habitat from encroaching development and water quality in the lake. If shorebirds and migratory birds are to succeed in their current population numbers, the bays of Utah Lake are critical to their survival. Whoa, this is heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? And, of course, the other factor here is this is state land, which is why this matter is sitting before the Utah State House of Representatives. State land is sovereign in Utah. According to the state constitution, it cannot be disposed of. Enter in House Bill 272, which, if passed, would allow for the exchange of state-owned land in this case, the aforementioned 30-ish miles of lake bed to Lake Restoration Solutions, that's the private company, who would compensate the state by the, quote, comprehensive restoration of the lake. Recreators are concerned that more houses would ultimately mean less recreation. On top of that, there has been no public comment period, which when dealing with altering a living document, such as a state constitution, does not exactly seem on the up and up, especially when the altering of the state constitution, a document constructed to provide state residents with protections, is being altered to dispose of sovereign lands that are supposed to remain state property in perpetuity for the good of all Utahns. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, state officials have to conclude the project will improve water quality and clarity, conserve water, enhance the lake's water storage ability, remove invasive plants and fish, such as Phragmites and carp, restore plant communities and native fish, including the Bonneville cutthroat trout and June sucker, enhance bird habitat, improve navigability, recreational access, as well as ensure the state land continues to generate revenues for the state. Which, if someone came to you and said, I want to put as many as 500,000 taxpayers on an island I will build out of the poop-filled sediment of a lake that currently has zero taxpayers living on it, you can see how that would make sense. Is Utah Lake an example of private industry coming up with a fair and equitable solution to a public problem? We make money, you get a restored public lake minus 30 or so miles of lake bed. Or is this a way for the state of Utah to kick a can full of problems and obligations to restore a lake they used as a dumping ground for well over 100 years, which is nevertheless much loved and recreated upon and in down the road and make a bunch of money? That's a question for you and your state representatives. If you were asking me from a hunting and angling perspective, I would rather have fewer people and keep my poop pond. 
make it hard to get to while you're at it. If that is what you think, you'll need to come up with a big chunk of change. I'll be uh, keeping everybody posted on this one. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater.
onto the legislation desk. The United States Senate officially filed last month the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, or RAWA, sponsored by Missouri Republican Senator Roy Blunt and New Mexico Democratic Senator Martin Heinrich. The Wildlife Act would give state agencies a guaranteed $1.3 billion per year, according to the bill. Wildlife agencies will use this money to protect their state's most endangered and threatened species. That's a nice chunk of change, and you might assume that the political animals in D.C. are fighting tooth and nail over this proposal, but not so fast. The Wildlife Act is set up to appeal to both Republicans and Democrats, and the House version of the bill has received support from both red and blue representatives. Before we get to that, you might be asking why the states need more money. Don't they already receive funds from hunting license sales and excise taxes? That's true, but the bill's supporters say those funds aren't enough. States need additional and more consistent funding to protect the over 12,000 species identified as being in need of conservation attention. New Hampshire Fish and Game reports that one-third of wildlife species in the United States are at risk of becoming threatened or endangered without additional funds. A guaranteed $1.3 billion per year would go a long way towards rebuilding habitat, educating state residents, and building the infrastructure needed to protect these plants and animals. Whether states receive this funding depends on if Congress can play nice and pass the bill. It's a big what if. Congress critters aren't known for bipartisan cooperation, but here's why the Wildlife Act should appeal to both sides of the aisle, as well as you at home. Giving states the money they need to recover these species now keeps them off the endangered species list later. That saves money in the long run, and it appeals to stakeholders that don't want the feds sticking their nose into state business. If a species is so threatened that it becomes endangered, it can jeopardize development and agricultural projects, just the regular day-to-day for you trying to make a living out there. The Wildlife Act reduces this risk while still helping protect the plants and animals loved by folks from all political parties. Ronald Reagan, the actor? Here are a few examples. In Kansas, there's a big fight being waged over listing the lesser prairie chicken as threatened, which is a designation under the ESA. Listing the bird would limit what Kansas landowners can do on their land, and it could delay extraction and clean energy projects alike. Wildlife Act funding could give the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks the money they need to help save the lesser prairie chicken and avoid the endangered species listing. There are no guarantees the Wildlife Act will solve this specific problem, and I'm not saying the lesser prairie chicken shouldn't be listed, but the efforts of the Kansas Wildlife Department have shown promise, and the state's ranchers would no doubt appreciate an alternative to federal involvement. If you are like me, and you have an awesome little dog that loves to hunt, and you love to take that dog out and tote your shotgun, you do not want this bird listed. It's the same story in Florida. Florida's Wildlife Action Plan lists 44 animal species that are currently threatened but have not yet received federal protection. The gopher frog, the Florida mouse, the gopher tortoise, and 41 other kinds of animals all face threats from development, agriculture, invasive species, climate change, and a host of other things that are bad for animals and their habitats, which in turn are bad for us. 
Florida already has an action plan and a funding stream to help conserve these animals. So, Wildlife Act money from Washington can immediately be put to good use. Reps from the West Virginia Department of Natural Resources told me they've identified 600 animal species as being in need of additional conservation efforts. But the money they currently get from Washington only covers 5% of what they need to implement their state wildlife action plan. The state currently hosts 35% of the world's population of Cherulean Warbler, a little bird that's seen its global population decline by 70% since 1970. The West Virginia DNR already works with private landowners to help conserve more than 8,000 acres of habitat, but they only have the funding right now to support three biologists. With money from the Wildlife Act, West Virginia could fully fund this program and continue their productive partnerships with private landowners. Here's one more for you. North Carolina. Wildlife experts are hailing the Wildlife Act as a way to protect the 500 threatened species the state has identified. One of those, the Appalachian cottontail, is thought to be declining, but biologists are uncertain exactly how the population is doing. The cottontail isn't listed as endangered, but biologists are recommending additional study. If you're a rabbit hunter, this means something to you. Additionally, they're looking to protect the heath balds and red spruce, which the cottontails use as habitat. That $25 million that North Carolina would receive as part of the Wildlife Act would help protect this and other species in the state. I could go on, but you should get the idea by now. All 50 states have identified species that need additional funds, including every state with Republican senators. This bill could save taxpayers money by recovering animals before they become federally protected. And it would definitely keep much of the decision-making power in the hands of state wildlife biologists. That's something politicians from every party should be able to get behind. There is one complication that hunters are going to have to think about. The Wildlife Act would change how conservation is funded in this country. Right now, hunters, anglers, and sport shooters can take credit for funding the lion's share of conservation efforts through those licenses and excise taxes. If the Wildlife Act passes, another big chunk of money will come from other taxpayers. That could limit the political clout of hunters moving forward, and it's something you'll have to think about before contacting your legislator if you're one to go down meaningless rabbit holes, in my opinion. Here's my take. If we're going to call ourselves hunter conservationists, we should support the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. The states need the money, and the current funding sources aren't getting it done. If we want to maintain the goodwill of the non-hunting public, which supports hunting by wide margins, we need to stick up for non-game animals too. The Wildlife Act is a big part of that, but it won't get passed without your help. If you're afraid of losing any sort of power to the folks that aren't buying guns and buying fishing tackle, well, here's the deal. Competition is great. And I am so confident in the hunting and angling public in our history of conserving wildlife that we will mop the frickin' floor with those folks. I'm looking at you, Red State listeners. Republicans in Congress don't get to hear from their constituents very often on conservation issues. When they do, 
they pay attention. So, if you want to support the Wildlife Act and try to get a few more Republicans to join Senator Blunt, pick up the phone or open your computer. You can find your senator's contact info by Googling your state's name and U.S. Senator. It's very, very simple. While you're at it, go ahead and contact your House reps as well. The Recovering America's Wildlife Act already has 99 co-sponsors in the House, but if your rep isn't a sponsor, send them a note or give them a call today. If we want to conserve our nation's wildlife, we can't sit on the sidelines. The Wildlife Act will ensure stable, consistent funding to save thousands of threatened species, which, by the way, live in the exact same spots that the species that we hunt, who, by no coincidence, are not threatened, live. But if we want this to happen, and we should, we need to make sure our representatives in Washington know how we feel, which is why I am beating a dead horse on this one. Or, as the folks at PETA say, feeding a fed horse. Whatever you prefer. This is your call to action. We haven't had a strong one in a long time. This is a big one. Recovering America's Wildlife Act. Pick up the phone or open your computer. Moving on. Fun fact for you. If the external ear, or tympanum, which means membrous resonator, is located exactly where you think an ear should be, kind of above the corner of the jaw, if that tympanum is larger than a bullfrog's eye, that bullfrog is a male. If the tympanum is the same size as the eye, it is likely a female. A male bullfrog also has a yellow underjaw, whereas a female bullfrog will have a white or off-white underjaw. So, if you have a frog in your hand and the tympanum looks about the same size as an eye, but you're not sure, and the underjaw is white, it is more than likely a female bullfrog. Also, a male bullfrog is called a male bullfrog. How'd you go on there? How'd you like that dad joke? I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. Idaho Fish and Game would like to remind anglers and eaters that the American bullfrog is not a native species. They belong in the eastern United States and not eastern Idaho. Bullfrogs are voracious, they eat pretty much anything they can fit in their mouths, and not that much in the West will eat them, their eggs, or their tadpoles, which is just an unfair advantage that we can't stand for. Their major weakness is, they taste great. Very similar to a dark meat chicken, in my opinion. Super fun, super accessible, easy for the whole family. You can spear them, snag them, gig them, hand grab them, or as wildlife biologist Brandon Flack does, you can use an offset circle hook or an inline circle on a soft plastic bait, unweighted, skip that thing over the moss and pond scum while sight fishing for the frogs. The bullfrogs will chase or ambush your passing bait. Idaho Fish and Game encourages everyone with a valid fishing license to take as many as you can catch. So jump to it. Make like a tree and get out of here. Newswise. That's all I've got for you this week. So go to www.steeldealers.com to track down a friendly, knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They can set you up with everything you need, including answering any questions you have, such as how do I sharpen the chain on my brand new chainsaw? Or what pole saw do you need for clearing shooting lanes out of your tree stand? Steel, 
makers of the world's finest chainsaws, and a bunch of other great stuff I use every hunting season, and even when it's not hunting season. Let's go. Oh my god, it's a dream. And last but not least, remember to let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. I love hearing from you, and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.